Ezra 7, 8 through 10. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the effect that it has on our lives, the power that's there. Father, for the promises that you have contained in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who follow Ezra's example and live according to your word, that we study your word, that we would teach your word, Father, to those around us, to our children, to those in our family, to those of our neighbors and work associates. Father, I pray that you would help us this year to be those who not only know your word, but we live it out in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would guide us in our time today as we look into your word, and I pray that you would change us, transform us, make us different because of this time that we spend with you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. We, uh, well, I would just say uh, uh, it's Merry Christmas. I mean, it's still close enough. We're still within 24 hours, right? So I can say that. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is uh, an exciting week, right? Right in between. And as we think about this year, a lot of times what we do is we focus on the things we're going to do, the new dreams that we're going to have in this coming year. It's a new year. we got a blank slate. We get to start over. Hopefully no COVID or reduced COVID, right? That's what we're hoping for. But in the meantime, we think about, and, we, and you usually do this every year, we think about what are our goals for the year? And you start thinking about your vacations that are coming up and where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And, uh, and then you evaluate, how did it go? Uh, we went to the Grand Canyon this year and saw Bryce Canyon and Arches uh, State Park, and I, I mean, a national park, and it was an amazing trip. And so we can check that off and say, wow, we can celebrate that. That was an amazing uh, time, amazing vacations. And so you look at that. We look at the emotional. We look at the physical. We look at the spiritual, right? And so I look at my physical body and I'm thinking, okay, I got some work to do here. Christmas has been good to me, you know. <laughs> There's some great food that I've been eating over. And somebody told me once, it's not how you eat between Thanksgiving and Christmas that's the issue. It's how you eat between Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> so you're only going to gain about five or ten pounds during the Christmas season, the Thanksgiving season, but it's the rest of the year. And so, you know, I have a goal this year. I want to lose some weight. I want to kind of get in better health and better shape. And so uh, you can pray for me on that one. That's always a fight for me. Uh, I love food. I grew up loving food. My mom pushed food. That was the way that she uh, showed her, it was her love language was giving us more food, giving us bigger portions, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to hurt her feelings. You know, so I said yes every time. And so, uh, you know, learning to say no now is a difficult thing for me. So, you know, that's my issue. But you've got other things that you're working on. So we've got the physical, getting more sleep. Maybe that means going to bed earlier or whatever you need to do to do that. Our mental health, uh, thinking about those things is how do, I, how do I build margins into my week? How do I build margins into my day? Those times, those 15 minutes here or there where I can just kind of, breathe, where I can just slow down. 
and building those into to the, to the regular course of life, the flow of life, learning to edit out some things. I was looking through, uh, Googling some of these kind of things and thinking, well, what do other people do? And, and one of the things that somebody mentioned was learning to edit out stuff. You don't have to do everything and figuring out which of those things that you don't need to be doing and, and downsize on your schedule. Well, the spiritual, as we think about that, that's usually one that uh, sometimes people think about, sometimes that kind of gets forgotten. And so I want to highlight that for us now. I want us to think about that and focus on that. What are the spiritual things that we need to do and how do we figure that out? There's a tool that I use. It's the Navigator Wheel. I came to Christ through the ministry of the Navigators at the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, I've got that wheel on a slide if you want to go ahead and throw that wheel up there. This was something that I, I came to Christ the third week that I was in Austin. I mean, I was looking for the Lord. God found me. God drew me to himself. And I get down there three weeks later, I accept Jesus. And I was going down and, and, and I did not have uh, a great perspective on life. I didn't have a great focus. I was planning to get involved in some things that I probably shouldn't. And God just grabbed a hold, grabbed a hold of me in a way that, and he's never let go. And, and, he, and I realized that at that moment that I, that I put my faith in Jesus, I didn't even know beforehand that I needed to do that. I thought that if I was a good person, I'd go to heaven. I mean, a lot of people think that in our culture, that that's what Christianity is all about. If, you, if you're a good person, you're going to heaven. And the reality is, no, it's those who believe in Jesus go to heaven. Not just believe in a general concept of God, but believe on Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our sins. And so I never understood that. I never got that. And I began to read the word of God and began to realize that's what it's saying. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's not by my works, not by my being good. It's a gift that he gives to whoever will receive. And so what an incredible God we have. Well, when I came to Christ through the Navigators, this was a wheel that they uh, have trademarked. And it's something that's, uh, uh, that they put together. It's a very simple thing. Uh, has Christ as the center of our life. So Christ is the Lord of our life. We live our life for Christ. And then if we're going to do that, we need to have this relationship with God, the horizontal relationship, the word of God and prayer. And then you have the vertical relationship, your relationship with other, uh, with other people, witnessing and fellowship. And then that outside circle is the idea of obedience, that we obey the Lord and, and we obey the things that he has us do. And the interesting thing about it is, is when you think about this wheel, a wheel doesn't work very well if one of the spokes is really short. It's going to be flat on one side, and so it's going to, you know, bump along. And I think many of us bump along in our Christian lives because we have a, 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 a spoke that is, that is too short. And so I use this to help me to evaluate my spiritual life any given year, at any given point, how am I doing in witnessing? How am I doing in prayer? How am I doing in the Word? How am I doing in fellowship? And, and so, uh, and there's a lot of verses that you can go to that talk about that, but, but that becomes my focus. And so when you think about our church in the three main words that, uh, and, and, and I'll test you here, right? What's, uh, you know, we, we talk about abiding in Christ, belonging to the body of Christ, and then uh, impacting the world around us. So put the next slide up that has abide in Christ. The idea of abiding, uh, you see I put it in that little quadrant, uh, right quadrant there. It's the word in prayer. 
that when we abide in him, that he talks to us through the word, we talk back to him through prayer. And there's that communication that goes on between us and the Lord. And so uh, the things that we talked about, if you remember in this series that, that I've done, and I'm, I decided to go ahead and tag these on to that series, um, Following Jesus, because at Mansfield Bible Church, we want to be those who follow Christ. We want to be those who just walk with Jesus. And so if we want to do that, then we need to meditate on his word. We did, a, did Psalm 1. We need to meditate and, and read his word, to think about it, to think about what he has to say. And then prayer, we withdraw and seek God. And there were a couple of passages that we looked at in regard to that, and especially in uh, Mark 135, where Jesus, early in the morning, a great while before day, he got up and went out to a lonely place and prayed there. And so we see him withdrawing and getting that time with the Lord. And we need that. We all need that in our lives, not only for our spiritual health, but for our mental health. Where we take that time away and we're just not around people at that moment. It may mean that you have to get up earlier. It may mean that you do it in the car. If you can focus and drive at the same time, sometimes that's easier said than done, right? But uh, those times where you can listen to God's word. I mean, there's so many great tools today. In 1972... None of, the, you know, none of these tools existed, and I didn't have much money anyway, so I couldn't afford them if they, even if they did. Didn't have the internet, didn't have cell phones, and so you, know, you just kind of bopped along, and the only verses I had were those that I memorized. And, and unfortunately, Scripture memory's kind of gotten left in the, in the wake of a lot of the technology that we have, and it's something that I would encourage you, as you think about this year, to think about this being a year of the Word of God. That you spend time in his word and that you either just, uh, uh, do a reading program this year or you do a scripture memory program. I would encourage you to do one of those two. Uh, a reading program, you can do the Bible recap. My wife and I started that at the beginning of the year. We're a few weeks behind. Uh, and we're thinking we may be able to catch up here this week. But uh, we've been doing the Bible recap. Tara Lee Cobble uh, uh, takes uh, uh, the different, it's chronologically reading through the scriptures. And you've got, if you've got the Bible app called the Bible or version Bible, it has so many different free versions that you can get, download. They'll have voices that, and you can in your car have it read to you the scripture. Or if you're you know, sitting on your couch, it, it will read the scriptures to you. And then you listen to what Tara Lee has to say about it. And she has some great comments. Uh, she just kind of talks through the passage of things that she observes. And, and uh, really, a, a really good tool. The Navigators have a, a deal called the uh, Topical Memory System. Has 60 of the most common verses that you'll want to memorize. Some of them you'll recognize, some of them you won't. And, and it categorizes them and encourages you to memorize the verse references so you can find them if you need to. And when you commit the Word of God to memory, it's amazing how God uses that, how the Spirit of God uses that in your life when you need it most. Then that word of encouragement or that word of, of challenge or even exhortation comes to mind, instruction, and, and you know what God wants you to do in that moment. And so God's Word, hiding it in your heart uh, we won't sin against him when we do that when we hide it and we obey it and we live it and so you've got abiding in Christ but then there's that belonging in uh, to Christ and belonging has the idea uh, it's the idea of fellowship and a fellowship isn't just talking about the cowboys and how they're doing this year right uh, fellowship is when you're actually engaging in a spiritual conversation or you're praying for someone I would love to see a church and, and, and I see it from time to time have our church that we're so committed to, to praying for one another and being with one another that, that 
that you'll see somebody that may put their hand on their shoulder or, or hold a hand or whatever or just stand there and they'll pray for that person and say, wow, you're, that thing that you're talking about, let's pray about that now. You're, you know, whatever it is. And so it begins to this engagement process. Uh, I started the, the year and it wasn't exactly part of this series. Uh, I didn't have it nailed down to it before, but I talked, did two weeks where I talked about small groups. Small groups is a great place for that to happen. That's when you get to know other people closely. It's when you begin to live life together. It's when you are able to bring a meal to someone who's just had a baby or just going through something in life or had somebody die and, and you, they, people can care about you and, and reach out to you. Uh, you come into this place at the larger gathering and you see people that you know. It's not all strangers, but you get to know certain people and you look forward to seeing them each week. And so this idea of fellowship where you're stirring up their lives and they're stirring up your, yours like iron sharpens iron. You're sharpening each one another spiritually. And so life is better together. We see that in Ecclesiastes. Uh, then there's the idea of impact. And that impact, you notice that I also stuck the word disciple in black because that's not one of our three words. But it's this idea that we want to impact those around us. We want to impact those who don't know Jesus. We want to impact them positively for Christ in some way, in some uh, uh, we, intentionality that we decide we're going to do something that, that uh, uh, helps someone else. And first thing that we ask you to do is just pray for five people. Because what that will do, when you begin to pray for five people, you become aware of them more than you ever have. And you become aware of opportunities when all of a sudden they're uh, uh, going through something and you, and you think, oh, this may be the opportunity that I've been praying for to be able to share Christ with them. And so you find yourself praying for these five. But then this idea of discipleship, we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, uh, both witnessing and discipleship. And that idea of, and, and in the Southern Baptist uh, circles, they have this idea of who is your one? Who's that one person that you're investing your life in? Because a Christian life isn't supposed to be just selfish, lived for me. It's supposed to be that I'm investing in someone else. And we'll see that in our passage today, where Ezra not only studied the word of God, he did it, and then he taught it. And so we begin to ask, Lord, who do you want me to invest spiritually in over time and we begin to pray for that particular person and I'll I'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks and so we're focusing right now on this idea of abiding this idea of the word of God and so that's going to be our focus but I would encourage you to take this tool you can get it online it's just uh, uh, the nav wheel or just the wheel illustration or uh, how uh, you know just google it and you'll find it I would encourage you to find it print it off and post it somewhere that you would, on your refrigerator, on your mirror in your bathroom, wherever you will get up and it will cause you to start thinking about how am I doing? How am I doing in these areas of my life? Because if we're going to take some time to, to grow spiritually, it means we need a time of evaluation. And that's a great little tool to be able to help you to do that. Why would we read God's word? We're going to be blessed if we do. In Revelation 1, uh, uh, 3, uh, 1, 3, it talks about, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So there's a blessing that if you just read the book of Revelation, and it's not Revelations with an S, unless you're from Texas, we put S on everything. Uh, it's the Revelation, singular. But uh, it says that when we read it, that we'll be blessed. If we read it out loud, I'm not sure exactly what that blessing is. It doesn't say. 
but it just says we will. In Matthew 12, 3, Jesus says one of many times that he says this, have you not read? I mean, he's exhorting them. Haven't you read this? And it's like when I, was, when I first came to Christ in 1972, I had never used my Bible in church. I went to a church where we just carried a book of common prayer. And we would uh, go to that particular day and, and there might be a reading from the Gospels and a reading from the Epistles and maybe a reading from the Old Testament during the course of that service, but we never carried a Bible. And when I went to, I came to Christ and then I went to church with some of the guys to a Bible church and everybody's carrying their Bible. I'm kind of looking around going, what's all this? This is new. You know, are they going to read that whole thing during this? You know, I didn't know how, how the thing worked, right? And so, and I didn't know where the books of the Bible were because I didn't need to in the church that I grew up in. And so I had to begin to learn God's word and begin to learn the books of the Bible, some of the stories of the, of the scriptures that I'd never heard before, never knew, didn't have growing up, didn't have in, our, in, in children's Sunday school. And so why read the word? Have you not read? No, I hadn't. And so that's why I encourage people, read, read the word of God. If you've never done it, Read the word of God. Uh, there was a, ser a message that I did on Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. And I began to number different aspects of my life. How many more years do I have if I live to 80, like the Psalm says, when, if you're due to strength, 80, 70, or if due to strength, 80. And so I thought, okay, if I live to 80, how many more weeks do I have left? And I made a little jar, and I began to put beans in that jar. And, and I, I bought this four-pound bag of beans, and I got this really big jar. And then when I counted out every week between now and 80, it only used very few beans, and it really opened my eyes. It alarmed me how few weeks I had left. And I only had a bean for every week. And, and every year I'll take out 52 of those beans in the jar. You know, it's a small jar with a small number of beans. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, let's make this count. Let's make this count. And so I began to, as I was numbering things, I thought, how many more sermons do I have left if I preach to 65? Well, I'm 67 now, so I'm, I'm kind of going, going over time, right? And... Uh, you know, and, and, and so I was, I was thinking of these different things that I had left. And do I, I want messages that are going to count, that are going to impact, that are going to be important to people's lives. And then I began to realize that my dad at the time was 77. And I saw him two times a year, he and my mom. Because we didn't, you know, we didn't have, I mean, the cell phones were just coming out. And, and they had just started putting free, weekend, um, free, free weekends, minutes on the weekend that were free. And, and, uh, and it's still during the week, you couldn't call or else it cost you uh, or your minutes or some dollars. And, uh, and that was the way they did it back then. And so uh, I realized, you know what, I'm gonna, I see him twice a year. I thought, I'm going to see my dad, if he lives to 80, six more times. And it just, it caught me up short. And I realized we, we alternated Christmas with my, my folks and my wife's folks. And we had already seen them Christmas, so I was going to see them one more Christmas. I started bawling. And I thought, what can I do? And I realized I got, th I got this, this guy with free minutes on the weekends. I'm going to call him every week. All of a sudden, it changed my focus because I numbered my days. And I began to, 
to call them every single week. Well, one of the things that we did was it was a year like this where I began to encourage people. We're going to read the Bible together as a, as a congregation. And I had these Bibles that Zonder had been put out and had, had the dates on them and when you were supposed to read. And so we gave those out. Actually, we sold them to them for 10 bucks, but that's what we had in it, you know. <laughs> so every, all these people bought them, and I, I bought a couple, and I sent them to my mom and dad. said, hey, we're going to do this this year. Would you read with us? First time ever that my dad read through the scriptures. And he was 77 years old. He'd never read through the whole scriptures. And every week when I called him, he goes, I don't understand this. And, and all of a sudden, we had these conversations about the scriptures that were amazing. I mean, just amazing. Sometimes he was angry. I can't believe this is what's written here. What does this mean? You know, so we'd talk it through, you know. And sometimes he'd go, wow, this is really encouraging. And I, it was just some amazing conversations. He read the scriptures, he and my mom, the last five years of his life. He lived to 82, and he read the Bible every year for the last five years of his life. And we had some amazing conversations, and I watched him grow in ways that I could never imagine. There's blessing from reading the Word of God. Here's some quotes that I, I, I got this week. Some of them I already knew. In fact, I have many of them written actually in the front of my Bible. I just wrote them. I, I write these in the front of my Bible as I find them. And over the years, I have a number of these. Uh, I love this one by Spurgeon. I've known it for years. It's a Bible that's falling apart usually, usually belongs to someone who isn't. Isn't that a great quote? Dwight Moody said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Whoa, that's sobering. This one I just read this week. I hadn't heard this one before. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. Spurgeon also said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. These, uh, the, the next two were two that I had not read before. The Bible is the only book where the author is in love with the reader. Isn't that neat? Or the Bible is the only book whose author is always present when one reads it. I've never had any book that I've read where the author's standing there with me. That would be a little creepy, actually. Um, <laughs> but not with God. With him being there, I'm good with that. Uh, Complaining about a silent God with a closed Bible is like complaining with no text, uh, about no text messages with your phone turned off. Whoa, that's, that, I, I love that one. And then Dwight Moody also said, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. Not to just make us smarter sinners, but to really help us to understand how we shall then live. Jesus said this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I mean, the power of God's word. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. So as we pray, the word of God is key to that. It should be a part of what we pray about. The author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's sometimes the reason why we don't read it. Because we don't want that to happen. And in fact, that's what this next quote kind of implies. It says, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. But because it contradicts them. Whoa. When I read that one, I was like, wow. 
I love another quote by Spurgeon. He's a lover of the word. Uh, he says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose. And the lion will defend itself. So the question is, is when we look at our own generation, we look at our own world, uh, will, will the scriptures last? Is it going to make it past this generation because the scriptures are under more attack than I can remember in recent times? They've been under attack for centuries, but certainly in recent times, people are questioning so many things about the scriptures. And one thing that I realized is, is, you know, God's done pretty well for the last 2,000 years since the death of Christ without Greg Buckles on the scene defending him and defending his word. And his word has lasted all these time, all, all these 2,000 years, and even before in the time, if you go back to the Old Testament, go back to, to the time of Moses, uh, uh, you know, you got around 3,500 years. The scriptures have done pretty well of, of outlasting every one of us. Amen? And so we don't have to worry about the scriptures. We don't have to worry about them standing the test. They've already stood the test of time. So the question is, is can we understand the scriptures? Because you read it, and sometimes you read stuff and you go, man, I don't, I don't know that I can understand this. God doesn't just make it easy for us. He puts some cookies on the bottom shelf for us to grab and easily understand. There are some things that are deep, and they take time. They take work. It's like finding a diamond in a, in a, in a, or a vein of gold in a, in a mountain. You've got to work for it to find that vein of gold. Sometimes you have to work for it to find the scriptures, and they uh, find out what the scriptures mean. They don't lend themselves to the lazy. And so it means that we... Uh, uh, we work hard at it, but it's not all about us. Thankfully, we have the Spirit of God. Everyone who believes on Jesus has the Spirit of God at that moment that they believe. That's what Ephesians 1 tells us. It says, having heard the gospel, uh, or the truth, the gospel of our salvation, and having believed, we were sealed in him with the spirit of promise who was given to us as, a, as an inheritor, our first installment of our, or a, a down payment for our inheritance. And in Ephesians 4.30, it says that we are sealed with the Spirit of God. It said, don't grieve the Spirit of God with whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. So I know I have the Spirit of God from the moment I believe until the moment I'm glorified. And I, and, and I can't be lost as a result. I can't lose my salvation as a result because the Spirit has me. I don't have to keep my own salvation. He keeps it for me. And he is the guarantee of my inheritance that I have. Well, here's what Scripture says. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand what is freely, what God has freely given to us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, experiencing, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit, which is the person who hasn't believed in Jesus, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man is, so you've got the natural man, then you have the spiritual man. The spiritual man, spiritual person, makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So when we believe on Jesus, we have the Spirit of God who has explained to us uh, the, the Word of God. And so we need to pray. We need to be a people who pray that God would help us to understand. James talks about it. You lack wisdom? Ask God. 
Look to him. Ask him for wisdom. If you don't understand, when you study the scriptures, pray. Say, Lord, I don't, I don't understand what I'm reading here. I need your help in this. The Ethiopian eunuch did that, and God brought Philip along. He brought somebody along to explain it to him, what he was reading. In Acts 8.30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? He asked the question, and then Philip began from there and explained to him Jesus, and he received Christ as his Savior. So when we put our faith in Christ, we have the Spirit of God, and we began to study the Word of God, we ask the author, who is the Spirit of God, we're found from 2 Peter 1.21, that, uh, that, that it was men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God, and so the Word of God comes through the Spirit of God, and so he understands and he can explain to us. And what does that mean that we do? The challenge that Paul gives us is in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not be, need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So we're going to look at today a guy who did that very well. His name was Ezra. And in Ezra, the, the verse that I really want to focus on is, is in verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, or law of the Lord, and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So that's uh, Ezra 7:10. That's a great verse to memorize. If you don't have one to memorize this week, pick that one. It's a great one. And so when we think about it, you think, well, who is this guy, Ezra? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history, kind of a background. Uh, and, and if you'll put the slide up that has the, uh, yeah, that one. Thank you. Oh, he's on the, he's, he's ahead of me. Uh, this idea of you have the book of Ezra, then you have the book of Esther, and then you have Ezra again, time-wise, and then you have the book of Nehemiah. And what this chronicles is three returns back from Babylon. The children of Israel, they were taken by Babylon in 586. They were exiled. We see Daniel and we see others. Ezekiel, they, they're in Babylon and they're longing to go back to Jerusalem, longing to go back to Israel. And so uh, when God begins to allow them to return, it starts with the first return under Zerubbabel and the, they rebuild the temple. Then you have the return under Ezra, uh, which is spiritual reform or rebuilding the people. So rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the people. And then when Nehemiah comes in on the, on the scene, he rebuilds the walls and the, and the city is complete at that point. After he builds the walls, show that next picture uh, of, the, uh, uh, of Israel. This is Jerusalem uh, in, that, in that time frame. That's what the city would have looked like after Nehemiah had rebuilt the walls uh, there uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And that's about the size of the city. David's city would be the lower point uh, part of it. And then where the temple uh, is uh, or, or the uh, tabernacle, or the temple uh, is uh, uh, where uh, uh, the place that David bought from Aruna. Uh, and so you have this picture here of, uh, of Jerusalem. And so when you think about it time-wise, had Ezra ever lived there? No, he didn't. Now, we do know that some of the people that went with, back with Zerubbabel had been alive and had lived in Jerusalem before. Because in chapter 3 of Ezra, 
In verse 12, it says, But many of the priests and Levites and head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, they'd seen the first temple, they'd seen Solomon's temple, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping, for the shout, uh, people shouted with great joy, and the sound was heard far away. And so there's this idea there that, that people were weeping because of foundation, from the foundation they tell this temple's not going to be nearly as glorious as the one that we saw before. So we know that those people uh, had, had lived in uh, Israel and Jerusalem before but when you get to chapter 6 at the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of 7 it just kind of goes on to the next thing but there's actually a span of 58 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7 and so when Ezra comes along the scene it's been 128 years since anybody had gone uh, except for Zerubbabel's group that anybody else had gone back to Jerusalem so Ezra had never been to Jerusalem Many of the people that went with him had never been. They didn't grow up there. They, they were born in captivity. They were born in, in Babylon. And then they, now they're getting ready to go back. And so he has the opportunity to invite people to go with him. In fact, in 7.1, it says, Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, and then it has the son of, the son of, the son of, goes all the way through, end of verse 5, son of Aaron, the chief priest. So we know that Ezra had been a priest and was a priest of the line of Aaron says, this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe. So we know he was a priest and a scribe. Skilled in the law of Moses. And the question that I ask is, okay, so what, what of the Bible did he have? We don't know what he had. We do know that he's talking about the Torah, at least the five books of Moses. He's talking about the law. So we know he at least had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He could have had some other of the books, but we don't know which ones were available to him, which ones were widely dispersed after they were written. Uh, but, um, but we do know that he, that he had the law of Moses, and that's what he talks about here. And it says, the king granted him all that he asked. So he asked for things from the king. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Now we've seen that phrase before. When uh, Donna was reading, we saw that phrase in verse um, 9. It says, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. This phrase is repeated again in, in uh, verse twenty. Eight, where it says, I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And so this, this repeated phrase, and we need to look for repeated phrases, repeated words that helps us to know what's the focus here. And here in this idea, he says, he said, and the word for, little preposition, ties it back to what was just said before. He granted him all he asked for the good hand of God was on him. He came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. He took courage for the good hand of God was on him. And so why did all these things happen? Why was the good hand of God on him? And we're, we find from verse 10, the very first word, notice what it is, for. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. There's blessing from studying the word and doing the word. We see that in James chapter 1. That that's a promise of blessing for those who will do the word of God. In James chapter 1. Uh, I don't know if I guess. I guess I don't have that slide. Um, in James chapter 1. He talks about 
that if we read the word of God and that we're, we, um, we're like a person who sees his own face in a mirror. And, and, and if we only, we walk away and if we forget what we look like, then, then, then uh, it doesn't do us any good. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You ever done that? You walk by the mirror, you see your hair sticking up, and you're going to do something about it, and you brush your teeth, and then you walk away, and you forget your hair sticking up, and somebody's kind of pointing at you, and, you know, uh, you know, because you got your this hair sticking up. It says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law and that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Blessing comes from what? Doing the word. From doing what the word of God says. And it says, anyone who listens but does not do. How many times do we read the word and then don't do what it says? So many times that's, that can happen to us. And so we, we fall into that trap. And so we need to follow along with, with him and study the word of God, what Ezra does. Do it and teach it. This idea of studying, uh, the, the word that's used there uh, um, is the idea of to read repeatedly. That's what the word means. It, it's, it's to rub like you would do a rubbing. And, and you, if you were uh, at a gravesite, somebody, some people do that. They go at the Vietnam Memorial, I see people do that. They take a piece of paper and put it up there in a pencil and they do this number. So they can do a rubbing of that person's name that was dear to them. Sometimes you can get information off of a paper if you've forgotten a phone number and you've written it down and you've written hard, you can take the next page and you can just put a paper down there and do a rubbing and, you can, and sometimes that, that all of a sudden comes clear. What, you, what looks fuzzy becomes clear. And so he's basically saying that the word of God is like that, that we, we go over it again and again and each time that we do that, it becomes more and more clear. It becomes more and more understandable. And he set his heart. He was intent about it. And when I was looking at this idea of set, it means to, to, uh, to take aim, to be intent on, to be resolved, to be uh, determined that you're going to get something out of it. And the only reason that you would do that is because you value it. And I think so many times we don't value the word of God, the blessing that comes. We don't realize the blessing that we see that the word of God is going to give us if we will spend time on it. He set his heart and the idea of heart in the Hebrew language and this particular word has the idea of the intellect. It's not just the emotions. We think of the heart as this emotional side of us, but it's the intellect. It's the, the volition. It's the will. It's this want to, that I want to study the word of God, that I want to understand it, that I see the value in it and I desire it. And that's the picture that we see with, with Ezra, that he set his heart. He did it to study it and to read it over and over and to do it, and then to teach it. To do it, to be a follower of Jesus, to, to choose to follow Jesus, that he says, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you go, okay, I'll follow you. And we begin to do that. And he begins to make us fishers of people that we begin to invest in people. And then he says, and teach it. And you think, well, I'm not a teacher. I know those teacher types and I'm not one of those. We're all teachers, every one of us, 100%, right? You got kids, you're a teacher. Whether you want to be or not, don't say I'm not a role model. You're a role model. 
You know, we hear that from athletes. Oh, I'm not a role model. Yeah, you are. Not a very good one either. You know, I mean, especially if you say that you're not one. You don't, don't even understand the role. We're all teachers. We have all opportunity. And we can teach one-on-one. Any of us, we do that all the time. When we share what we believe to be true about something, when we get in an argument, we're teaching. Hopefully you're, you don't quarrel with somebody. Uh, hopefully you don't get in an argument with somebody. Hopefully, because Scripture tells us not to do that. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to all. Able to teach. Patient when wronged. With gentleness correcting those in opposition. If perhaps they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. Having been held captive by him to do, the, do his will. We are all encouraged to be teachers. And you don't have to stand up and have a bulletin, I mean a marker board. And, and, and work the marker board in front of a great crowd of people. One on one. It's one of the most powerful because they can ask their questions and you go back and forth. Does it mean you need to be ready? Yeah. Does it mean you need to have all the answers? No. All you have to be, able, uh, be willing to do is be one step ahead of the next person and then be willing to say, you know, I don't know that, but I'll get back to you. And then go study it and come back. I'll tell you what, the word of God becomes so much more valuable to you when you got to come back with an answer for somebody, for something. And you find yourself studying even harder because you're trying to find this answer. And so I, when I first came to Christ, one of the things that NAVS did, they throw you in pretty quick to, to start teaching. I was like, I don't know anything. I don't even know where the books of the Bible is. That's all right. You'll get it. And they were right. I started investing in other people. And they asked me questions. I don't know. I'll get back. I don't know. I'll get back. I said that a lot. I don't know. I'll get back. I'd answer their question. And then I, they'd ask me another question. I, I don't know. I'll get back. <laughs> we can all teach. And you will find that your craving for the word of God deepens when you're investing in someone else. Well, one of the things I want to give you as we go, uh, as we close here, this message, is this uh, 10 ways, 10 strategies for reading the scriptures. And you see those words there, and uh, let me explain them uh, briefly, just really quickly as we go through it. One is read patiently. Read the word of God patiently. Don't get in a hurry. There's times that you need to slow down, read a little slower. Read it over again. It's okay. Read less rather than more. I know some of you are in a, in a women's study and, and you're doing a lot of reading. There's times to do that, but there's times to slow down. To read prayerfully. We need to pray for, as I mentioned before, ask God for wisdom. Ask God to give us understanding. Ask God for illumination of his word. Read repeatedly. That's from the word that we have here. Read repeatedly from that word study. Read it over and over again. I had a professor who said, before you preach a passage, read it 40 times. You know how hard it is to read something 40 times before in a week? Before you're going to preach it? I, I don't always make 40 times. But if you read it, you begin to see things that you didn't see before. And it kind of goes with the next one. Read imaginatively. Read it in different translations. Read it in a paraphrase. Read it. Uh, have somebody read it aloud. Listen to, uh, you know, listen to the Bible being read with your app. Because they have different readers for some of the different translations. And they'll emphasize different words. And you'll find yourself going, oh, I didn't notice that word the last time that, that I went through it. Get your kids to read it. Read thoughtfully. Look for the structure of the passage. Repeated words are really helpful. We looked at that, repeated words. Phrases, contrasts, we saw that with the word for. It gives you a purpose or reason uh, uh, for something else being said. For is based on what was said before and now what is coming up. Ask questions of the text. Read purposely. 
look for the aim of the author. What did God mean when he said? What did Ezra mean when he said? Read acquisitively. Try to figure out a way to retain what you're learning. Put together a chart or, or something. Uh, I mean, I draw in my Bible. I, 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 nobody will want a Bible after me because I've got marks going every which way and lines going to different stuff and stuff I write in the margins because it's not how many times you go through the Bible. It's how many times it goes through you. And so we, we, I want to digest it. I want to take it apart. I, I want to take it apart and put it back together and see it and understand it. Read selectively. Ask six questions of the text. Who, what, when, where, why, and wherefore. If you just ask those questions, you'll find that you understand more than, and see more than you ever saw before. And if you'll notice, those are some of the questions that I ask. Why do we read the scriptures? What, is, what was uh, the background of Ezra? I was asking those questions. What I'm telling you in terms of these 10 strategies we did this morning and you got to see an example of read telescopically get close to the text back off we looked at one verse but then we backed off and looked at the history of uh, uh, and how the two books of Ezra and Nehemiah fit together and so you want to get up close but you want to back up a little bit because sometimes you'll see stuff like that phrase the good hand of God was on him that's a key idea and because it's right before our, our verse. It's verse 9 and then we get into verse 10. So it's a key thought to our passage. Read meditatively. It means you've got to let it percolate in your thinking. Something that I do every week. I try to get my message done as early in the week as I can. I want at least to have it as much put together by Thursday as I can. So that it has time to percolate not only in my thinking but in my life. Because I don't want to get up here and say, hey, here's how you need to live your life. And then I'm not doing it. If I don't have it, I can't export it. And so I need to have it in my life. It needs to be something that's important to me. It needs to be something that I'm at least honest about and said, you know what, I'm struggling with this one too. And here's some of the things that I've done. I don't just blow that off and go, I'm struggling with it, so say la vie. No, I'm struggling with it and I'm going to put my mind to it. Because I want to see the blessing that comes from obeying the word of the Lord. I want to encourage you to make this a year of the word of God. And uh, uh, my wife and I read the scriptures last year through the, the Bible recap. Uh, we're almost through, through the whole thing. We're thinking about doing it again, uh, but we're not sure yet. And so doing some thinking and some planning in regard to what am I going to do in regard to the word? What am I going to do in regard to prayer? I'm going to pray for five. What am I going to do in regard to the word? I'm going to read it, study it. What am I going to do in regard to fellowship? Well, I've got a small group that I'm a part of, and I want to keep doing that. What am I going to do in regard to prayer? I, I want to continue to pray for five. I want to draw, withdraw away. It's, it's easy to read God's word and then put it up. And say, okay, I got to go. And not take that time to just talk to the Lord about what you just saw about yourself. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm messing up in this and I don't know how to get it better. And you begin to just seek the Lord and seek his face. If we do those things, we're going to see God in an amazing way transform us. And the word of God won't be just something that we read and study. It's going to be something that transforms our life. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us in it. I pray that when we read the word, we'd see Jesus. You search the scriptures because in them we think you have life. It is these that tell of me, Jesus said. Lord, I pray that we would see Jesus. 
as we read your word, that we wouldn't just look for ourselves, we would look for Christ. We wouldn't look for just what can we do, look, we look at what you've already done. Lord, you have done so much and, and you're so amazing, you're so gracious to us, so merciful to us. You, you don't give us what we deserve, the punishment, the justice that we deserve, that comes on Christ. But you give us the grace that we don't deserve your blessings that we don't deserve because of Jesus dying in our place. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would help us to grow an understanding of your word, that we would be those who follow Ezra's example, that we would study your word, read it repeatedly, that we'd do it, and that we'd teach it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.